Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 1. This morning, we want to look at the first four verses, and I'll give you the reason why. We're going to give you some introduction, and then we're going to uh, just kind of break it down. Now, when we come to Hebrews, it speaks about the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is the complete sacrifice. He is the final high priest. So it's important for us to see that. This morning, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, God's supreme revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is that Jesus Christ is God. You see, this morning, I believe that, I hope and pray that all of you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is God. But in a lot of circles, Jesus is a good man. Jesus is a good humanitarian. Jesus is a good prophet. But many times when you say that Jesus is God, those are fighting words. You see, you can pray in God's name and you don't offend anybody. But when we pray to the Father in Jesus' name, that offends people. And some of you have even come across that. In fact, you can bring up any subject on religion if you're at a gathering or at a party or, you know, a function with your family. But if you bring up Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, those are fighting words in some places. And so we look at the scriptures. God's supreme revelation. That's what we're going to see in the book of Hebrews. And that revelation is that Jesus Christ is God. Now let me give you some background. The author of the book of Hebrews has been argued for centuries. There are those like myself that believe that this is another of appalling letters in the New Testament, bringing the total of 14 epistles written by the Apostle Paul. There are others who say that Paul did not write the book of Hebrews. In fact, as I was doing some research, Martin Luther believes that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. Tertullian, one of the early fathers of the church, he believed that Barnabas wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. And then there was two other ones that were kind of odd, and I'll just give it to you. Uh, there are those that believe that Philip wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. And then a woman by the name of Prisca or Priscilla, that she wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, basically, and I want you to see this. We know that the Bible was written by man, yet highly inspired or dictated by the power of the Holy Spirit to man. And so let's leave it at that. We have to come to that conclusion. You see, when you study the scriptures, there are 66 books. There are 39 Old Testament. There are uh, 27 New Testaments. We have something like 40 authors that wrote all the Bible. 40 authors, all coming to one theme in a period in a span of about 1,500 years. And there are those that say, well, the Bible has air, and yet there is not an air to find in it. I want you to turn to a passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Now, I don't have a problem with the Word of God. You see, when I hear the stories and I read the stories of Jonah and the great fish, I believe it. When I believe the donkey spoke to Balaam, I believe it. Now, the miracle is not that the donkey spoke to Balaam. The miracle is that Balaam spoke back to him. 
Well, you know, I really have a hard time in the Old Testament that Jesus actually fed 5,000 people. No, he didn't feed 5,000. That was the men. They didn't include the men and the women, so there was, uh, let's give it the benefit of the doubt. He fed 10,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Then he turns around just a few days later, and then he feeds another 4,000. Well, you know, I, I think uh, Jesus really didn't walk on water. Well, I'll take you to the, the, you know, the Sea of Galilee, and then I'll let you get off the boat and see how far you get. Why do we have problems with this? You see, it takes faith to believe. It takes faith not to believe. And so, who wrote the book of Hebrews? We have to determine that it was the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul often wrote epistles. I believe this is his 14th epistle. But all of the epistles that Paul wrote were inspired, listen, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so, here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 16, powerful here. And I want you to underline that or circle it in your Bible, if you like to write in your Bible, the word all, not some. You see, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, if you look at the Greek word, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Listen to the translation. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. Be careful when we pick and choose, well, you know, some of the women. I, I don't like that passage in Ephesians chapter 5, 5 where Paul says, you know, the woman is to be in submission to her own husband. I don't like that one. Well, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's scriptural. And so we have to understand that, that the Word of God is all Scripture is God-breathed. From Genesis to Revelation. Notice verse 17. That the man of God, he says, may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God completes us. The Word of God prepares us for His work. We need the Word of God. And so to deny it and say, well, you know, I don't believe all of it. No, well, I don't believe Paul wrote, you know, the book of Hebrews. It, it doesn't matter. You can go to seminary today or you can go to Bible college and you can actually take one semester concerning did Paul write this or who wrote this and you waste the whole semester on that you don't believe Paul wrote it fine let's come to an agreement the Holy Spirit brought forth the word of God now let me go on for some more introduction the book of Hebrews was written purposely listen to Hebrew Christians living in Judah or they were under Judaism that's what I was trying to say. The date of the writing of Hebrews, now listen, very important here. There are those that say 64 AD. That's okay. The date systems always fluctuate a couple of years. There's others that say 68 AD. And the reason I say there's an importance in the date system here. If it's 64 AD, six years later, Titus and the Roman army comes in and levels Jerusalem. And the temple is destroyed. If it's 68 AD, two years later, again, 70 AD, Titus and the Roman army come in and dispense everything. We know that the temple was destroyed. And so we come to the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the complete sacrifice. Jesus is our final high priest. Jesus died once and for all. What are you going to do without the temple? 
Because you would come to the temple uh, once a year at least. You would come to the temple to seven uh, feast days. And three of those feast days, you had to be there. And so Jesus becomes a complete sacrifice. Now the theme of the book of Hebrews, very important. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And here it is, that he is God. The purpose of the writing of the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit addresses the danger of turning away from Jesus Christ and returning and trying to find salvation through the Jewish system of religion. Most importantly, the book of Hebrews is going to show there is no other sacrifice needed that Jesus Christ is the complete sacrifice once and for all. Once and for all. The book of Hebrews was written to Jews who had accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and their Messiah. Many of the early church Jews were in danger, listen, of backsliding, slipping away or slipping back into the traditions of Judaism because they had not put down good roots into the soil of Christianity. And those good roots are Jesus Christ. We got Easter coming up in a couple of weeks. Look at the traditions that have invaded Resurrection Sunday. I mean, what do colored Easter eggs have to do with it? For the life of me, what does a chocolate bunny have to do with it? But look at these traditions. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate that our God died and on the third day he rose again. And we know that there was a 40-day post-resurrection. And then we know that he ascends into heaven and he sits now at the right hand of the Father. And the scripture says that he makes intercession for us. Now listen to this. The book of Hebrews appeals to the Greek mind as well as to the Jewish mind. The Greeks saw everything on earth as the shadows cast by what was real. So they were always searching for reality. The book of Hebrews presents Jesus Christ as reality. The Jews were searching for a way to approach God. Because historically, they felt too unholy to approach him. And that's us this morning. We could not approach God the Father until we went through the cross. We must go through the cross. You see, because everybody today in our society, I mean, God is everywhere. You go up into the mountains, and some people believe the mountains are God. Some people believe the trees are God. Some people believe the rivers are God. I mean, you got people hugging trees. Come on. My Bible says that Jesus is God. And here's an important key now. The book of Hebrews presents Jesus Christ, our Messiah, as an approachable God. Always remember, God desires a personal relationship with mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. God never desired that mankind would uh, approach him uh, through religion. Be careful with that. And to describe religion, it's one word, uh, two words, man-made. You see, religion is man trying to reach God. But a relationship, listen, a relationship is God sending down his son, And we're going to study that this morning to become the mercy seat for us. And because I accept that mercy seat, I come into this new relationship. The born again experience. Regeneration. 
I come into this metamorphosis, this change, this transformation. And now this unapproachable God has made it possible for me to approach him, but through his son, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you would come here this morning and you would bring a turtle dove or you would bring a sheep or a lamb or a goat. Or if you had the money and you had a big family, you brought in a bull and then we would sacrifice it. And then we would have the, actually the high priest up here and the priesthood, which would be our pastors here. And we would have to make a bloody mess. And we would do this Sunday after Sunday. Well, and the Old Testament would be Saturday after Saturday. But imagine that Jesus now has died once and for all. It's complete. Now, you see, I come from a strong Catholic background. Twelve years of parochial school. And every time the mass was said, we were taught that Jesus died again. We were taught that Jesus is blood uh, again. And the book of Hebrews says that Jesus dies once and for all. You see, it's called transubstantiation. In other words, that this wafer, this bread, becomes the body of Christ. The juice or the cup or the wine becomes the blood of Christ. And it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us the insight. When we come to the communion table, he says, do this, and these are the words of Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. God forbid that Jesus would have to die every Sunday. So he has died once and for all. So let's go back to our text. Now, I want to read it. We're going to read it through four verses, and then we're going to go on, then I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to expound on it. But this morning, God's supreme revelation of his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the Father by the prophets. Important to know that. Has in these last days now spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made all the words Jesus had his hand in creation. Verse 3 goes on, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged, and that is to forgive our sins. He purged our sins. He sits down now at the right hand of majesty on high. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And look at verse 4 real quick. Having become so much better than the angels, he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent uh, name than they. And we're going to study more of that next week in the conclusion of chapter 1. The Jesus greater than the angels. Now, I wanted to read a cross-reference before I would expound in Hebrews chapter 1. Go with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 1. Because this is a beautiful cross-reference. Verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Again, here in Hebrews, we're looking at the supremacy or the supreme revelation of the Son of God, Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, that He is God. And then in Hebrews, Paul's already writing, or the Holy Spirit's declaring to us, that Jesus was there at creation. Be careful that we only put Jesus at His first advent. There's Jesus on Christmas Day. That's what we celebrate. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And, and so we place Jesus then. 
But my Bible says he always was. And so at creation, Jesus had a hand in it. Amazing. And so listen to the Gospel of John now. I'm going to come back to this later and expound on it. But right now, I just want to read it through as we did Hebrews chapter 1 here. In John chapter 1, look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And I want you to see that the W's are capitalized. And that Word is Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Jehovah's Witnesses have made a strong error here. They give us a God. And if you go to a Greek scholar at any university, he doesn't have to be a Christian. Give him the Greek manuscripts, and he says, it cannot say a God. It is a bad translation. And then it goes on. In verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. Jesus is this light. The darkness is the sin that we were in. And so we come to the light. And when we come to saving grace, our man, our inward man, inward woman, we're darkness. There's an emptiness in us. Our heart is futile. I mean, it has nothing. We're just flesh. And we come to saving grace and the light bulb turns on. That light is Christ. You know, when you go into a dark room in your house, and I mean, it's pitch dark, it's in the middle of the night, nothing happens until you turn the light on, and the darkness has to flee. Now, listen to this passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 13 through 20, uh, you can go back on your own and study it, but Jesus basically says to the church, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light in the earth, in this sinful world. Salt was used as a preservative, and the light exposes darkness. Now, we know that Jesus is this light, but when Jesus gets ready uh, to give up the ghost and go into heaven, he leaves the church, and he told the church, now I'm leaving. You're going to be salt, and you're going to be light. Church, we have the answers. And if we're the salt of the earth, when is the last time we made somebody thirsty? Because that's what salt does. We made somebody thirsty for Christ. If we're the light now upon this dismal earth, when somebody, when's the last time somebody actually followed our light into the kingdom of God? And so Jesus comes into this darkness to give us life, life eternal. Now, let's go back to our text. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to begin to break it down. We're looking at God's supreme revelation, His Son, Jesus Christ. And not only the supreme revelation, but that He is God. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, God, at various times and in various ways, He spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Here's the translation. God in different times, in different ways, he communicated in time past or in the Old Testament to our forefathers by the prophets. By the prophets. Now, if you go to the book of Genesis, 
and you go to the book of Malachi, which is the last book, the 39th book uh, in the Old Testament, we have approximately about 4,000 years span. Then we come into the book of Matthew, to the book of Revelation. You have a span of about 2,000 years. We have about 6,000 years. So in the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, we're going to see in verse 2, he has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. But in the last days, in the Old Testament, to our forefathers, he spoke by the prophets, and I'm going to give them to you. He spoke through the prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Now, these are called the major prophets, and that basically because they had the bigger books. And then the minor prophets, he spoke through Hosea, the book of Joel, the book of Amos, Obadiah, excuse me, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and then finally Malachi. Now, here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1, this verse assumes, listen, assumes the existence of God. We should never try to prove the existence of God. The Bible, the Holy Scriptures, never try to prove the existence of our holy God because we know by faith that there is a God, the creator of all things. Now, there's a great debate between evolution and creation. And I tell you, it takes a lot of faith to believe in evolution. It takes a lot of faith that, you know, all of this happened in a big bang. Now, if it did happen in a big bang, I love saying this, somebody lit the fuse. But what about creation? It makes more sense to believe in God's creation. I want you to turn to a passage in the book of Psalms, chapter 19. It's a beautiful reference by King David, and he speaks about God's creation. So let's say you don't believe in God, but you step out every morning, especially here in the beautiful Southwest. Now, on Sunday mornings, I'm up early, and I tell you, it is so beautiful to see the sun coming up over the Oregon Mountains. It is so cold, especially the last few days, so chilly in the morning. And yet, when the sun starts to break through, all of a sudden, the temperature just starts to change. And by the way, May's coming, and we're going to be, stop complaining, it's cold. Because it's going to get hot. Now, here the southwest, you know, when the sun goes down, kind of takes away because it goes over the mountains over here. But when you're in Southern California, and when you drive down PCH Highway... Pacific Coast Highway, and we do it as many times as we've been to California. We try to do it all the time. I try to be there in the evening because it is so beautiful to watch the sunset and to watch that sun just, I'm looking at it, it's sinking into the ocean because that's what it looks like, this big ball of fire. I mean, how can you deny God? And you come to the southwest here, here in our Chihuahua Desert, we have such clear sky. Now, I come from Southern California. I saw smog most of the time. The first two years, I walked around with my head up. People said, what's wrong with you? Uh, I'm looking at stars. you never seen stars? Not in Southern California. They were always covered. But the beauty here. Well, if we don't believe in God, what do we do with this creation? It's his stamp of approval. It's his handiwork. And so here in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, the perfect revelation of our Lord, a psalm of King David here. The heavens, 
declare the glory of God. That's all we need. Cut and dry. Now, we believe it by faith. We're Christian. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament, which is the expanse of the sky, shows his handiwork. The word handiwork, it shows his actions. It shows his product. It shows his, his property. It shows his creation. I look at the Oregon Mountains. They're beautiful. I look at the Robleros. That's what they're called. They're beautiful. Right behind us, where we have the radio tower there. I don't know if some of you know that, but it's called Goat Hill. I go, hey, I like Goat Hill. That's God's creation. How can we deny that? And some of us have seen even greater things that God has created. So how can we deny the fact? Uh, look at verse 2 now. Day unto day utters speech. And that the word speaks there of his promise. Day unto day utters his promise of God. And he goes on. The promise night unto night reveals knowledge. Now, this verse is telling us the promise and night unto night it reveals the knowledge or the awareness of his creation. It didn't just happen, church. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2, man. It's just so beautiful. God said light being it was. Darkness being it was. Six days in creation. Now, you and I, when we make something, we have to have materials. But in the beginning, God created. The word created is bara. That he made something from nothing. That's God. That is God, church. He goes on. Look at verse 3 now. There is no speech. No promise, nor language where their voice, the sound, is not heard. In other, in other words, creation speaks out. I mean, God's creation. We have, you know, the doves that hang around uh, our trees there, and you can hear them so beautiful. Imagine if we didn't hear that. From time to time, we'll, see, we'll hear a roadrunner crossing. We'll see the quail with the little quailets. Is that a right translation? Anyway, they're following each other. I don't know if you've had the opportunity, but uh, up in the early mornings, uh, even though we got a lot of housing around us, from time to time, I see a coyote. I say, God's creation. I hope those of you that have small dogs put them away because the coyote's coming. God's creation. How can we deny it? And so, listen to what it says. There is no speech, no promise, no language that where their voice, their sound is not heard. Creation speaks. Now, listen. No one has ever seen the wind, but we know it's there. No one has ever seen thunder, but if you've been close to it, you know it's there. Notice verse 4. Their line, or the word is cord, has gone out through all the earth. And then it says, and their words to the end of the world. The court of God in his creation. Uh, again, church, look around us. The majesty of his creations. Again, I just mentioned a little bit, but if you've had the opportunity to travel, the mountains that we have in our great nation. What about the oceans that we have? What about the rivers? I know our Rio Grande is not the biggest, but we've been to some nice rivers. What about the lakes? You ever been to the Great Lakes? I thought they were the ocean. Oh, they're incredible. The handiwork of God. What about the animal life? I, I love to watch the, 
uh, specials on oceanography. And I love when they're coming up because we have new equipment. Now we're able to dive farther and farther. And they're always coming up with these uh, new evolvements. No, they're creations of God that have always been there. They come up with some sea creatures that are incredible. And if you watch Andrew Zimmer, he eats all that stuff anyway. But it's just beautiful uh, to see the complexity that God has put together. Look at yourself. Look at man. You ever thought about your eye? You ever thought about your hand? I mean, you can tell it what to do. You don't say, oh, I hope my foot moves because I'm going to get ready to walk. It just happens. You ever fallen asleep at night and then you wake up in the morning? Who breathed for me? These are things that I think of. God breathed for me. God took care of this body, the creation of God, the animal life of God. Now, I have a problem with evolution. I really do. And um, years ago, I had an ingrown toenail. I think I told some of you this story. So I went to the foot doctor, specialist, right, Ph.D. He goes, Miss Ortega, we're going to have to remove the, uh, the nail. And I go, you know, I just asked the question. I says, why do we have nails for? Well, I know you're a preacher and you're not going to like my answer. I'm dumbfounded. I don't know what he's talking about. I go, well, tell me, what do you mean? Why don't we need? Well, our ancestors needed uh, the toenails. I go, why? He says, to climb trees and to open nuts. I go, whoa. (laughs) I go, doctor, maybe your ancestors. Yes, my grandfather was a migrant worker. But he never used his toes to pick onions. Come on. But this is a Ph.D.? Not only a Ph.D., but he was a foot specialist. Now, I have another problem with evolution. Our four girls, at one time or another, we've taken them to the zoo. Why is it that the monkeys in the zoo have not evolved? Did they leave them out of the equation? They're in there. Hey, they forgot to evolve you. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it? And so here's the psalmist. The creation of God. The heavens declare the glory of God and everything that's in there, church. Have you ever been over here to Flagstaff? To the Grand Canyon? Oh, my first impression when I saw that, there's nothing to say, but your jaw just drops. How? Oh, it evolved, brother, billions of years. No. What about Noah's flood? What about Noah's flood when it finally receded? You see, man has been duped. The creation of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. I want to turn to one more passage before we go to the next verse. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. You know, Paul had a fixation, I believe, with creation. He was just amazed by it. And he writes it in his letters. He declares it here in in the book of Hebrews. And now we come to the book of Romans. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at uh, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, he says, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and the divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that man or men are without excuse. Oh, I love that. Paul's writing to the Romans. David's uh, writing in the Psalms. God's creation, church. 
his handiwork attests to that he is God. And he made the heavens, the earth, the oceans, the rivers, the mountains, uh, mankind, animal life, plant life, God. And according to the scriptures here, Jesus had his hand in creation. Now let's go back to our text, Hebrews chapter 1, and look at verse 2. Now, the heavens declare the glory of God. In time past, he spoke to the forefathers by the prophets. And if you didn't buy the prophets, look at the creation of God. Then he says, in these last days, the last 2,000 years, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Jesus was at Genesis 1-1. These last days, the last 2,000 years, God has communicated, listen, to all mankind by his, by his Son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He has appointed the lot or the portion of his inheritance. That's the heirship. All, of all things, the one who has made or created the world, he is Jesus Christ. Personal pronoun there. We have his creation that speaks forth. We have the Old Testament prophets that have so beautifully spoken since the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then through the 12 tribes. Literally, we have the 39 Old Testament books, but in these last days now, these last 2,000 years, we have been told by Jesus' own words, the Word of God, how can we deny it? You see, in the Old Testament, we're going through it on Wednesday nights. And the children of Israel were just constantly disobedient, constantly going back uh, to idol worship. And how many times God gives them chance after chance. When you go through the book of Judges, in fact, we already did, it says that the theme of the book of Judges, listen to this. The children of Israel did that which was right in their own eyes. It sounds like us today. Sounds like our United States of America. We have the Word of God, but do we listen to the Word of God? Do we, uh, you know, apply the Word of God? Or is it just another book? Everybody did that which was right in their own eye. And today, look at what we're trying to change. Well, that's not sin. That's a lifestyle. That's not sin. Uh, that's a chemical dependency. We're lying to ourselves. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. I think when God gave the nation of Israel their first prophet, Samuel, and then Samuel was a good prophet, but then the children of Israel, as they grew and they saw the other nations, they, they told Samuel, we want a king like the other nations. And Samuel warned them. Moms, the king is going to take your daughters and make them maidservants. We want a king. Dads, the king is going to take your sons and make them part of his army. We want a king. And then he told the families, you get a king and he's going to tax you. We want a king like the other people. God granted him. The Bible says that God gives the desires of our heart. It's his permissive will. He allows it. You want it? There it is. The Bible says that Saul comes into the office. Remember Saul? He was a shoulder and a head above all other men. 
I mean, he was handsome and everything, but he had it all going, but he was a bad king. And then God had to anoint another king, and that was Dan, uh, David, excuse me. A man after God's own heart. Now, David uh, was a man of sin also. But in these last days, church, don't forget this. God has spoken to us through his son. Now, I want you to turn to a passage before we go to our next text. Go to Matthew chapter 23. You see, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, is already telling us that for 4,000 years, basically, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is getting ready to die. He knows it. And he goes to Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. Why? Because we said uh, if the book of Hebrews was written in 68 AD, two years later, or six years later, whichever the, the number is, Jerusalem would be leveled. There would be no more temple. The Jews would be taken into captivity. Many would disperse, many would run. Where were they going to do their animal sacrifices? Where were they going to celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement? Where were they going to celebrate their seven feast days? Three of those that they had to be there for. Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he weeps over it. And church, how many times I have wept over this city, but how many times I've forgotten to weep over Jerusalem, your city, to weep over uh, this beautiful Messiah Valley of ours, to weep over Doniana County. Are we content just with our salvation? What about others? Listen to the words of Jesus here. In Matthew chapter 23, look at verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets. It's exactly what Hebrews say. And stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen. Gathers her chicks under her wing. But you were not willing. Jesus knows what was coming down the pipeline for Jerusalem. For the Jews. Then he says verse 33. See your house is left to you desolate. Right there's a prophetic word. Because in 70 A.D., Titus and the Roman army would come and level Jerusalem. In verse 39, For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The return of Christ. The second advent of Christ. It is called in the Greek, the parousia of Christ. He will come back. I've shared this many times. We all don't, you know, most people don't have a problem with the first advent. Jesus, born in a stable in a manger that's seen there, uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes. But we don't hear people talking about his second coming, his second advent. I believe there has to be the rapture of the church and then a seven years of tribulation. And then Jesus and the church will return. He stands on the, uh, on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two. He goes through the east gate, the, the golden gate, the gate beautiful, and it opens up. It's sealed right now. The Arabs have sealed it thinking that, you know, God can't go through it. Oh, he can go right through it. Now, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who have stoned the prophets, 
In the last days, he spoke through the prophet. Now he's speaking through his Christ. He's speaking through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, real quick, Isaiah is believed that he was placed in a log and then he was martyred, being sawn in half. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he, many times he was beaten, placed in stocks, placed in muddy cisterns. Tradition tells us that he was stoned to death by his own fellow countrymen, the Jews. Listen to Ezekiel the prophet. Ezekiel the prophet married a woman that it says in Ezekiel 24 that she was the desire of his eyes. He loved her dearly, but God used that. Then we read on in Ezekiel 24 uh, that we read the death of his wife and the armies of Babylon laid siege against Jerusalem. She was killed. God said that the death of his wife was to match the grief of God at the sins of Jerusalem. Then he was committed uh, not to grieve for her. I mean, when I see Ezekiel's life, I question it. And then I'm reminded in Isaiah 55, verse 8, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. Isn't it interesting the things that God does in our lives, the thing God allows in our lives? Here's Ezekiel. Hosea is another prophet. He married a harlot wife, and then she left him, and she was being auctioned off as a prostitute. And God told her, go back. He told Hosea, go back and buy your harlot wife. Sometimes the things that God allows to happen, I don't understand. Now, Daniel the prophet, interesting character, Daniel the prophet. It tells us that he died of an old age, at the age of 100 years old. He died, and then the uh, tradition says that he was buried in Iran. Another tradition says he was born in Iraq or, or buried in Iraq. We don't know, but we know that tradition says he lived to be 100 years old. So God is in control, church. One more passage. I want you to turn to it. Go to John chapter 14 and verses 7 through 11. Again, this supremacy of who Jesus is. He's not just a good man. He's not just a good humanitarian. He's not somebody to have around when you've got to feed 5,000 people. He's not good to take out fishing when you can't catch fish. And then he says, throw your nets on the other side and 153 fish come up. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And I want you to see this beautiful dialogue here that he's having with his disciples. John 14, look at verse 7. If you had known me, he says, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, you've seen, you seen me, you've seen the Father. He's declaring deity here. He's speaking to his disciples. And then Philip pops up. In verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. You know, good question, good response. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say... Show us the Father. Slight rebuke. Now, Jesus was with his disciples for three and a half years. You have seen me, you've seen the Father. And then what about the miracle signs and wonders, church? I mean, let's go on. Look at verse 10. 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus says, you hear my words? And basically they're not mine, but they're my Father's word. You see, my Father and I, we are one. And then he says in verse 11, the conclusion, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else, listen, believe me, For the sake of the works themselves. Believe me. For the miracles, signs, and wonders. If you know the scriptures. Even the miracles, signs, and wonders. Don't always bring you to saving grace. I'm always reminded of the ten lepers. Jesus heals ten lepers. Leprosy is death. The Bible says that all ten were healed. One leper came back. One leper came back. And so miracle signs and wonders do not always save you. We must come to Christ, listen, by faith. Jesus, as we've been declaring now, is the superiority uh, beyond the prophets because Jesus brought the completeness of God's truth, that he is the complete sacrifice, the final priest. Jesus Christ is salvation. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father but through me. You see, I give you all these verses because the writer of Hebrews says, in time past, we listened to the prophets. But in these last days, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world, is speaking to us. I would encourage you, This week, read the book of Matthew. Read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get four flavors, four ministries of who Jesus Christ is. I mean, it's incredible. It's beautiful. Now, I want to give you two passages. Mark them down, but just listen to them. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is at Mount Tabor. And we see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah in the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus had gone up there with Peter, James, and John, and they get to see this. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, and listen to what the voice says. This is my beloved son, hear him. That was the voice of the Father, giving superiority, giving supremacy now, Hear him. Hear him. Now, one more verse. In Luke chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus is being water baptized at the Jordan. And as John is baptizing him, the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form like a dove upon upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. And I'd like to add to that. Hear him. Because that's the connotation. Hear him. Hear him. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. In the last 30 years, you don't know how many times people, I don't like that terminology. Okay, fine. You don't want to be born again? There needs to be change in your life. There needs to be regeneration. There needs to be a, a, a transformation. There needs to be a metamorphosis. You see, you cannot continue the way you are. 
there must be change. And the only one that can change you is Christ. And change comes at the cross. He removes your sin. Now, we get into the Word of God. We get into prayer. We come to church. And God begins to feed you. He begins to nurture you. And you grow in Christ. You go over here to the university. And you say, well, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to pay. And I'm going to go in. But I'm not opening the book. You think they're going to graduate you? I don't think so. And if they do graduate you, go get a job. Well, I was a such and such, and I got my degree in such and such. Can you fix that? Uh, no. Why? Because you didn't study. You need to know. How'd you like to get somebody that a doctor's going to pull out your appendix? How'd you do in class? Not too good. Whoa. <laughs> Some of you have been there. Now, let's go back. Remember I talked to you? We read right through it. Go to, again to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Again, we put Jesus at creation. The book of Hebrews, chapter 1, puts Jesus at creation. Genesis 1.1 puts Jesus at creation. And so we begin here in John, the gospel, chapter 1, look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Look at the capitalization. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Not a God like the Jehovah's Witnesses try to do. He was in the beginning with God. Genesis 1.1. Jesus is already there. Go past Genesis 1.1 to the left. Jesus was already there. In verse 3, this is so powerful. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. All things, not some, all things. God had his hand in creation. I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about Jesus. He had his hand in creation. Now, verse 3 again. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. There's a beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Listen to the text. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says, He, speaking of Christ, is before all things, and in him all things consist. The word consist there is the glue of Christianity. The word consist in the Hebrew, or the Greek, excuse me, all things are held together by him, by him. Now, I don't understand the sciences, but we know how, you know, you remember science class, how our earth operates and how, you know, I said the sun rises and then the sun sets. We take those for granted. It's just like electricity. I don't understand it. I just flip the switch. But all things are held together by him. Here's our earth, so beautiful, spinning on its axis. What if God forgot for a second, which he won't, but all chaos, all chaos. Again, church, Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things consist, all things are held together. This is his creation. Now, let's go back and finish off John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life. And the life was the light 
Again, the light is Christ, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the light. In verse 5, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. We must come out of darkness unto his marvelous light. Jesus is the light. Jesus is salvation. And we read that passage in Matthew 5. He calls us now salt and light. He hands it over to us, the representation. Now, I'm not God, I'm not Christ, but we represent him. And when they see you, they should see Christ working in and through you. And so it's a beautiful picture now. Now, we need to get going here. Let's go back to our text. Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 3. Who being the brightness, he's speaking of Christ, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, then he sat down at the right hand of God of majesty on high. Listen to the simplest translation. Jesus Christ, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification, listen, for our sins, in other words, forgiveness, he purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God of majesty in heaven. Jesus, remember who we shared earlier, is the complete sacrifice. Jesus becomes the mercy seat for us. Uh, the scriptures declare he becomes the propitiation. That's just a big word for mercy seat. The mercy seat was the lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat. Strong's Dictionary of Greek words says that the mercy seat is the atonement victim. Jesus, in other words, is the final Lamb of God. Listen to this verse. Write it down. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, Paul says to the church at Rome, God set forth as propitiation, mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. At the cross, church, all the sins of mankind were placed on Jesus. Listen to this, past, present, and future. 2,000 years ago, my sins were there, your sins were there. Because God knew exactly the position we would be in. Now we want to come to the conclusion. And we're going to deal more with this next week. Verse 4, Hebrews chapter 1. Having become so much better than the angels. This is Christ. Having become... So much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus is superior to the angels. We just studied Jesus is superior to the prophets. Jesus had his hand at creation. Jesus is the only way for us to get to heaven. He is the complete sacrifice. Now next week we're going to deal more with angels. Jesus is above all the angels. Angels are messengers. Angels are protectors. Angels fight our battles. Uh, we have spiritual warfare. There are those, there's nowhere in Scripture that says we have, you know, guardian angels. But I believe God dispenses angels to us. You see, I don't want to be content with a guardian angel. I believe God gives me angels. 
I believe some of us have more angels than others. Some of us get into more trouble than others. But I tell you what, God has dispensed his angels. I don't have a problem. Lord, send them all. If Jeff don't want his extra angels, send them to me. I'll take them. But Jesus, listen, is greater than the angels. Greater than the angels. I want you to think right now, some of the situations you've been in in time past, and you know that you should have got in that accident. You know you should have lost control. You know possibly you'll be dead, but God intervened. God intervened. And I'll tell you what, he does. But it's through his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We are going to study the completeness of Christ. This is why we pray to the Father, listen, in Jesus' name. Well, I believe in God. Have you come to the cross? Well, I believe in God. No, have you come through the cross? It's amazing that people want to deny the existence of Jesus Christ, that he is Son of God, Savior of the world. They don't have a problem making him a prophet. But my Bible says that he is God. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Hebrews. And this morning, we're just beginning to get a taste. Now let's stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Father, we give you praise and, and honor and glory and worship, Lord. And Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you have already spoken to us, Lord. And, and Father, maybe some of us right now have not come to that place that Jesus is my Messiah, personal Savior. And I'd like to give you that opportunity. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm here to deliver a message. I like what my pastor said years ago. I'm just God's errand boy, that's all. And so this morning, if you've never received Christ, please... Don't be embarrassed, and don't leave here without him. I'm not here to convict you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts you. Now, if you've never received Christ, you'd like to receive him this morning, I'm going to say a simple prayer of faith with you. I'm not even going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at. If that's you, if you're not sure, or you've been playing around for so long, you need Christ. The Holy Spirit spoken to you. You'd like to come to saving grace. If that's you, raise your hand real quick, and I'll say a simple prayer. Anybody here? I, I see your hand right there in the middle. Anybody else would like to receive Christ? Just raise your hand real quick. Anybody? Praise the Lord. We have one person that raised their hand. Praise God. Um, maybe there's somebody else, but, you know, I know it's not easy. It's hard. But let the Lord speak to you. But let's pray. Father, right now, in the precious name of Jesus, Lord, this one hand, this one young gentleman, Lord, his hand went up. Speak to him, Lord. Minister to him, Lord. Lord, he acknowledges to you, not to me, not to Calvary Chapel, but he acknowledges to you, Lord, that he is a sinner and that he needs a Savior. And, Lord, he knows that salvation is only through the cross. And so, Lord, forgive him. Wash him. Cleanse him, Lord. Make him afresh. Make him anew, Lord. And, Father, just uh, go before him now. And, Lord, for the rest of us, I know we struggle. Lord, help us. Lord, give us 
the power of your Holy Spirit that I might be able to sustain, Lord. And Father, keep us in the hollow of your hand. And so, Father, bless those that have come this morning. And now, Lord, as we conclude the service, we pray for the offerings. Lord, as you've given to us, this is our place now. We give back a portion to you. Receive our form of worship as we give back to you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.